You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there and welcome to episode 16 of the Exhibitionist, the podcast. Once again, thank you so much for joining us and we are delighted to have you tuning in. Shortly, we will be handing over to our conversation with Josh Rifkin, who is the CEO of Flatworks over in the US, and he came up with a really creative solution for those American exhibitors who were struggling with the build times on their stands. But there's some great tips in there for UK-based exhibitors as well. So what a roller coaster of a week it's been here at Pro Extra this week with the launch of our book, The Exhibitionist, which you no doubt will have seen all over social media. We weren't exactly sure when Amazon were going to publish it. So we had a little celebration on Tuesday night with the local business community up in the Northeast to say thank you for all their support during the period we were writing the book. So a great night, a few beers, and then word came through that actually Amazon were releasing it on Wednesday morning. And then you're kind of in a race for bestseller. You're continuously refreshing the page to see, have we done it? Did we get there? Are people actually buying it? And for all of you out there listening who did buy it, thank you so much. We hit the number one spot in both the sales and marketing category and business life category. So two number one bestseller statuses in the same day. And we're still riding high in the charts for a new entry. So thank you so much. The ebook and the physical book are both available on Amazon and in a range of good bookshops now, but also available through our website. So that's www.inspiringexhibitors.com, where we will also personally sign your book and put a little message in for you. So please grab a copy. And if you do read it, let us know what you think with a review on Amazon. So what else has been ripping up the exhibitions industry this week? Well, you may have seen some of the Twitter furore about the dress code of some exhibitors down at the Business Show 2019 at Excel. And it's something that we've raised before. And what I absolutely don't want to do today is get into the rights or wrongs of that particular example. I'm sure if you want to find out more about it, you can have a look on uh, any of Google or the BBC sites that reported that story. Certainly in our experience, I wouldn't say that the dress code that that particular exhibitor was employing um, was particularly explicit, certainly not compared to some of the ones we've seen in the past. But it does just raise the point again about how you use staff and the perception of those staff on your stand. Agency staff can be a real asset to your show, particularly if you're short on people and short on time. But Lee Alley is quoted, who's a good friend of ours over at Expo Stars Interactive. And he was just talking in some of the news reports about how it has to be, how your staff have to be more than just looking smart, professional or whatever the dress code that you want to employ. There has to be some substance where they can start a conversation with visitors about what your proposition is, how you can help solve a visitor's problem and what you're going to do next to follow up the engagement and the conversation with them. And Lee's worked really hard to create a a band of people across the world who are commercially trained and are much more than booth babes, which is not my phrase. That's the phrase that's been used and reported this week. So we're not saying don't use agency staff, far from it. And we're not saying don't dress smart and professionally. I think it just raises the point once again about the perception of what people are wearing and how that is delivered to visitors. I think the difficulty, particularly this week, was that it was a business show and perhaps booth babes, again, not my phrase, um, isn't the best reflection of 
the female role in in business in general and I think perhaps at other shows might possibly have created less of a storm but I shall let you do the reviewing on Google and the BBC and see what your thoughts are by all means tweet us and get in touch if you think um that you have something to add to the debate around whether booth babes are or are not relevant in 2019. So we will hand you over to a great conversation now that we had with Josh, as I mentioned. So Josh has a number of businesses over in uh, the US, but uh, he built a company called Flatworks a couple of years ago, which is, I'll let him explain it better than me, but it's really easy self-build stands, um, eco-friendly actually as well, because he'd picked up a problem when he was doing exhibitions, when he was working in the publishing industry, uh, with particularly in the US, exhibitors who were having to wait a long time to get the crates that they needed into halls, get their stands packed down, and we're just losing so much time. So he's come up with a really innovative new solution that we think could be a great solution for lots of UK exhibitors. So enjoy the conversation. On this week's episode of the podcast, we are delighted to throw over to San Diego, very excitingly, where we're going to be speaking to Josh Rifkin of Flatworks Displays. So welcome on the show, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. And uh, what's the weather doing for you over in San Diego? Well, this evening for us, this morning for you. Yeah, it's uh, 10.30 here. It's a little bit gray, uh, kind of typical for San Diego. We call it May gray. And uh, we're just waiting for the sun to come out and get to the beach. Oh, it sounds perfect. Love it here. Yeah. Sounds perfect. Um, Josh, let's just start by uh, you giving us some details on your background and what brought you to the exhibitions industry. Well, um, I've probably logged over 400 days in the Javits Center in New York City. So some would cringe at that thought, but I've grown to love it for a few reasons. Um, I was the sales director for a publishing company, an art publisher called Pomegranate, and we exhibited there quite a bit as well as uh, 15 other shows throughout the year. And in that capacity, um, we uh, had a great stand in, in New York City and in Frankfurt for the New York, Bo- uh, uh, sorry, the Frankfurt Book Fair. And um, all the other shows, we had these tiny little booths and they were kind of shabby, um, pipe and drape and whatnot. But, um, you know, really exhibiting at all of those shows uh, got me a good insight into, you know, all the costs of, uh, drayage and, and freight, uh, as well as the union labor costs of uh, setting up booths. And over those 14 years, uh, exhibiting out those shows, I actually ran into a friend of mine who had a toy company who had come up with a similar concept to what we're doing right now. Uh, we worked a little bit on that. He's an industrial engineer. And we came up with a system that allows you to set up your booth uh, without any tools and which requires no union labor. Uh, and we pack it all into a very small box, which becomes your table. So this allows you to no longer wait for your booth or your crate or your pallet at the end of the show, uh, which uh, cuts down on time on leaving. Uh, so we're just trying to find all the pain points that I experienced as the sales director for a publishing company exhibiting internationally, nationally at large shows as well as small shows. And uh, we've been developing that. We developed it for about a year. And then we launched two years ago, and we've had great success in uh, you know selling to companies like Rawlings and Nixon and uh, you know great great brands that we've known uh, for a long time, as well as some small up and coming uh, companies. And everyone's been giving us some great feedback, and uh, we're probably on round ten of our uh, renditions of this booth, and we're really proud of where we've come and where we're going. It sounds brilliant. I think. Um 
just for our UK listeners, Josh, it'd be useful if you could just um, give us a little bit of explanation just on union rates and labor costs in America, because it's very different over there. And actually those union costs, when you've got to get people in to build your stands, they can really push your budget up quite a lot. They sure can. Um, you know, we, we actually have uh, gotten the rates for nationally, just so we know. Um, it can be upwards of $200 an hour for a union labor in New York City. And there's a minimum of four hours if you uh, book them ahead of time. Uh, in some cases, they require a supervisor, which could end up being $250 an hour. So you can imagine how quickly those costs will go up. And that's not only for installation, but also dismantle. So when I worked with uh, Pomegranate, we had uh, eight hours, two laborers, uh, for, which is a total of 16 hours for setup, and then 12 hours for breakdown. So those costs are pretty astronomical um, for a small company. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have the choice to say, do you know what, we're just going to rock up and do it ourselves. You kind of have to use union labor to get your booth built. You do. They have requirements there. Um, you know, anytime there's uh, the need for any tools, uh, unless it's an Allen key or something small, you're setting up a point of sale display. But um, any weight bearing wall, they do require uh, union labor to step in and uh, set up your booth. And so that's why we came up with a system that's flat pack, uh, requires no tools and allows you to set up on your own. Yeah. So for anybody who um, might not be aware of you in the, the UK, uh, it's really worth visiting your website and having a look at what you do. I was really impressed with it. And it is that kind of flat, flat pack, lift the bits out, put them together in so many different combinations. So just, just give us a bit more of an idea about what Flatworks actually is and, and why you, the sorts of things you've thought about as you've developed it. Yeah, so we had um, designed this so that the crate itself would be no larger than a pallet. So each panel is within 42 by 18 inches. So they all fit into this nice small crate, which then becomes your table. Um, they just slot onto each other at 90 degree uh, points. Uh, there are flat pack uh, tables and chairs and all sorts of technology out there. But what we did was we created these uh, eight foot columns that uh, conform to your standard 10 by 10. I'm going out off of metric systems, but uh, 10 by 10 increments. Uh, so we erect a column and you connect uh, another column with either shelves or slat wall. So what we did was we created a system where you use these blocks that uh, you can push into the inside of your column. It creates a channel to drop in slat wall. And then we have a joist that holds those columns together. There is absolutely no tools whatsoever to set up a weight bearing wall within that eight foot height and those 10 foot increments, which are our standard kind of exhibition spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I watched the um, the video online of uh, stand going up, I kind of looked at it as somebody who is very untechnical and very unskilled in any of that kind of area and thought, do you know what? I think I could probably give that a pretty good go myself. Yeah, it, it's kind of like play plaques. I don't know if you've ever worked yeah. with those little flat pieces. It's very similar to that. We've just added some utility functions within those panels that allow you to incorporate uh, all the merchandising things that you see in retail. So we're just basically trying to mimic retail. Uh, within the confines of an exhibition, which is eight feet tall by 10 by 10, sometimes five feet. Um, and so the, the whole design is, is meant to stay within the guidelines of trade shows and avoid as many costs as you possibly can when you enter that building. 
Yes, we often hear from our clients, how do we avoid as many costs as possible? So it's, uh, <laughs> it's good to hear. But, um, but it sounds like a really great solution for small to medium-sized exhibitors. So what do you think makes a really great exhibition stand for those smaller companies that might be a little bit tighter on budget? You know, I think keeping it simple, uh, a simple display for your products, and I think curating your selection is important. And the design of the booth can help with that. And that's kind of why... We've always tried to design it so that we're not allowing you to over-merchandise, but at the same time, there's a lot of companies out there or a lot of systems out there that sell you a lot of structure that really doesn't have much merchandisable space. It's more of a giant graphic. Um, and I think you know having that functionality and that straightforward functionality to mimic retail, whether it be slat wall or shelves, is pretty important for a stand design. I think lights are also just as important. I mean... Uh, I see so many booths that are set up without lights, and you could have the best booth in the world but without any lighting. You're not going to see much of your product. Yeah, t- two really interesting points there. You've, you've mentioned it twice in terms of mimicking retail, so that's one that not a phrase that comes up that often actually. But when you think about a trade show stand being your shop window for your business, it, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And and the lighting thing is something that again people will leave probably till the last line of their budget. And if they don't have enough, it's the thing that, that they cut, but actually is really crucial to highlighting everything you've got on your stand that's brilliant. It, it is. It's interesting because lights don't cost that much. It's just a matter of having a system that enables you to light the parts of the booth that have your product on them. I mean, you can order Parcan lights at the show. Uh, those are quite expensive. So you want to find a solution that will fit inside your booth that can clamp onto the panels that you have. And we just use some LED arm lights that clamp on because all of our panels are half-inch panels. Um, we recently uh, had requests to light and downlight shelves. So it's kind of, it's great. I mean, I'm listening to all of our customers and saying, hey, can you do this? I, I've had this pain point and that pain point. So we just had a souvenir company say, we want this fairly large booth. It's about 20 by 40 booth. Lots of uh, keychains and magnets and and mugs and so they want them all on shelves but there's all that shadowing effect so what we're doing is we're taking a shelf and we're running a uh, galvanized metal on the bottom and we've uh, worked with an led company that actually has these great linkable led bars that are magnetic so now we can order these bars and we can just kind of pop them underneath the shelf and connect them uh, to the uh, the shelves above and then power each wall with lighting. I'm really excited about this new new addition. I think that's something that anyone can do with, uh, I mean, these are aftermarket pieces. We're just trying to incorporate them into our system. But I think lighting is important, whether it be a downlight or an accent light or highlighting your product. Um, no matter what you're doing, that light needs to shine. So uh, yeah, we're focusing absolutely. more and more on that lately. Yeah. So lighting is one of the things that exhibitors can often get wrong. What are some of the other things that you've seen in your travels around exhibitions that you think oh, exhibitors have just got that bit wrong about their stand? I, you know, again, I think a lot of times they just, they're not utilizing the back wall. Um, you know, smaller companies especially are using a lot of tabletops and then still leaving the, the show provided curtains, which can be any color under the, uh, outside the rainbow, it can be blue and purple and white and pink. Um, covering that back wall is important. And a lot of times the only way to do that is with a retractable banner or a pillowcase graphic. And then that, what you're getting is just nice big billboard, right? But you're not actually getting product out and, and visible to the customer where they can actually touch and feel it. 
Um, and in most cases, it's going to be lower down on, say, a 33-inch table, but maybe potentially some risers here and there. I just don't think got the impact um, that you're looking for. And a lot of the things I see from small companies is that, and I, and I talk to a lot of buyers uh, because I used to sell to a lot of buyers, and I used to be on the other side exhibiting. They would always tell me if they walk by a booth that just doesn't quite look like it's up to snuff, doesn't have the lighting, they feel like they may not actually be able to deliver their goods. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a reflection on whether or not your company is going to be able to serve the buyer's needs. So I think it's really important you, you, you step forward with, with the right foot. And if you're going to exhibit at a show or two or three, I would just select one and do that one right. It's such a great point and something we talk about with our clients all the time um, in terms of you know, d- don't think about doing four and only spending a few thousand pounds on each. Just do one really well, get the right people there, have your stand looking brilliant, have your staff all trained up. Spend the money on getting that one right. Because as you say, if people kind of think you've done half a job, cut corners, not really invest, well, all of that impacts really negatively on, as you say, your ability to deliver. Right. And also, if you're you're bringing your A game to too many shows and you don't have the budget for it, you're going to run out of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've seen that as well. So... Um, and, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot of great niche shows out there that um, you need to do the research before you select what show you're going to do. Um, I've done some amazing shows in, in, in the U.S. that specifically targeted, say, museum stores or national parks or, um, you know, speci- very specific channels. I think those are really interesting to explore as well um, and, and, and bring a nice, compact, clean, say, 10 by 10 booth, but always select a corner. I right. because you're going to get a lot more traffic, a lot more visibility. And the only way to utilize a 10 by 10 on a corner is to actually utilize the back wall. So that's the big tip of the episode so far for anybody listening. It's always going for a <laughs> corner plot. You will get far more traffic. So we'll, we'll give you that one for free to <laughs> our listeners. Yep. Um, so we kind of talked about Bridget and it can be really difficult. We know some of the internal challenges that um, exhibition event managers can have in big businesses where exhibitions have this perception of being very expensive and maybe not delivering a huge amount of value. So the budget needs to be spent. It needs to be invested. But what are some of the really smart ways of using budget more effectively? I I, I mean, you have to have a checklist uh, of the things you you know you'll need at the show site. Um, You know, pre-flighting your setup, doing a planogram. I mean, time is money. Uh, Setting that that booth up quickly is, is pretty important, I think. Um, I know a lot of customers that, that actually take pictures of their pre-flight, bring it to the show and able to planogram that out and get done with setup a lot faster, probably send less people as well. Um, on that note, I mean, I do know a lot of people that Airbnb and, and, and staff uh, bring, you know, three, four, five staff into a show um, to save money on, on housing because that can get quite expensive in some cities. Um, I would say don't overship product, um, you know, ship what you need. I think a lot of people ship too much and that can add up a lot, especially when you're talking about freight and drayage. Drayage being, you know, a dollar in, dollar out. And in some cases, freight can be more than that. Yeah. I know when some of the big um, food and drink shows that, that we work on in the UK and it's only kind mm-hmm. of UK to UK delivery, but they'll bring in a huge amount of stock thinking they're going to sample thousands and thousands of people, but you're at a food show and actually visitors after a while start to get a little oh, bit yeah. fatigued and you'll never get through as much stock as you think you do. And then 
the cost of shipping that, particularly if it's something heavy like beer in bottles or something like that, it can cost you a fortune yep. to get, get rid of all that stock out the other end. So it's a really good point about being really lean and only taking exactly what you need to the show, only taking exactly the number of staff that you need, finding ways of booking your accommodation early or, or using Airbnb. So it all, it just, all those yeah. things start yeah. to eat into a budget. And that, I think that checklist, you know, there's certain things like you don't want to be renting extension cords and purchasing batteries and snacks on site. So some of that stuff is, is important because once you're inside that convention hall, everything is twice or three times the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have that in the uk as well <laughs> yeah i imagine there's a lot of similarities there um you know the union labor may be a little bit different but yeah so you talked a couple of times about um pain points and trying to take out the pain points for exhibitors what were those po pain points that you identified that some of your clients were having well i mean it's it's really the union labor is one of the number one ones uh, given the fact that it's between 100 and 200 dollars an hour so being able to set up the booth on your own was important. Um, and I always liked the idea of, uh, you know, a booth in a box and having that crate become the table. And it's interesting as I talk to different exhibitors, um, depending on whether it be the person setting up or being the owner, right? Like they're, they're seeing the benefit of, of the bottom line and some are seeing the benefit of how is this going to affect me setting up the booth. Yeah. And I think that pain point is critical to the success of the show, the happiness of the staff, um, so if they can set up and they can leave sooner, um, everyone's happier. Uh, a lot of times, you know, our booths can break down in about an hour and you're on your way to the airport and everyone hasn't even gotten their crate yet. So that crate thing in the booth is really important. Um, and we've gone through many renditions of this to make that a beautiful crate where we're actually using silicone edge graphic frames, which then you can push in fabric, stretch fabric to panel up all four sides. I mean, that said, like, if you have a large crate, and I've seen companies do this, where it may not be our system, but if you have a large crate, why not utilize that as some sort of graphic representation and have a custom silicone edge graphic frame built for that? So if, if you already have a system and you're not in the market to buy a new one, you could always go buy an SDG system and surround that crate and keep it in the booth. Yeah. Absolutely, create some extra branding space and and getting your logos etc out there for people to see. And, I mean, unless unless it's the same size as your booth, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, there 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 are so many pain points um, to being inside that convention hall. But the main ones are really freight, drayage, and labor. Those are the most expensive parts of doing the show. Yeah. And so, if you can reduce that crate size to within a pallet. Uh, and then throw all your products on top of that pallet, which is your crate. Um, that's saving you time, saving you costs, and you're not shipping in oversized items. Um, all of that equals those three savings, drayage, freight, and, um, and shipping. In some cases, you know, the shows include drayage, but they're factoring that in. Yeah. Um, you still have to pay the freight and you still have to pay the labor. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in developing your product, how aware of you were you of sustainability and um, minimizing the environmental impact of the exhibition industry because we we know as an industry we have a problem with sustainability and and our environmental yeah so, so what were some of the things that that you were thinking about and that you've done to really minimize that impact wherever you can um well we wanted this to last a long time um so when we take this core panel that we have which is a half inch ply and it actually is a a, a poplar which is 25 percent lighter so we're saving 
money on the dredge, which actually equates to gas, right? And shipping and all of that, that get transporting your booth to and from uh, your facility. But the ability, and we've, we've only been around for two years now, and some of our clients have used our booth 15 times. We're predicting at least 50 shows with this booth. Now, if one panel breaks, we can just cut another one and we can ship it out. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to see how long our booths last and stay looking pristine the way they are. But 50 shows is a lot. So the reusability part is, is huge. Um, I would love to say that we're using an upcycled core. We are looking into trying to find something lightweight that's still quite strong and rigid. Um, we're always going to keep pushing forward in trying to uh, better the footprint um, of our product. Uh, but the main, the main point was that, you know, this is a, uh, something that can be reused over and over and over again, and it's lighter than most weight bearing systems. And that's kind of where, where we're heading with, um, you know, that reusability and sustainability. Brilliant. There's a lot of customers, you know, that we talk to that are potentially prospects or, or clients that used to do this, but a lot of people go to, uh, Ikea or, that that's beyond and they buy a shelf system and they buy maybe 10 of them and they leave them at the show. Those always end up in the landfill. And it just makes me cringe when I leave that show floor and I see all of these wounded soldiers throughout the convention hall. Absolutely. And, and what are the other areas that you think exhibitors, whatever stand um, they're using, how can they be more sustainable and more aware of uh, lowering the environmental impact they're having with the stand that they're using? Well, like I said, I mean, stop buying furniture and leaving it at the convention hall. But, <laughs> um, uh, and also, you know, not using, you know, the, the non-biodegradable materials such as foam core for signage. I mean, that's another big thing. What we use is an aluminum composite material, which is going to last a lot longer. I get that lifestyle images come and go and you're going to have to re-update uh, re them. But when it comes to your logos and kind of your perennial uh, signage, you could come up with something that, uh, is going to be more durable. Um, and I think these massive, you know, when, when you're doing a larger signage, you can use stretch fabric, right? And you can pull that over a pillowcase, aluminum frame, or whatever aftermarket pieces are out there. I think those are better uses because they're not disposable. Um, that said, you know, we have done some large format foam core, and that's kind of the, one of the only ways to kind of go higher. If you want to get to like an 11-foot tall uh, stand, uh, add that extra footage and we're working on a system so that we can actually use aluminum poles and we can get that stretch fabric so that can be reusable um i try not to use foam as much as possible i think we um as an industry we're all aware that we need to work harder and you know a lot of people that we're speaking to are, are saying now they're not printing off a lot of their literature so previously that have been brochures and leaflets and flyers all over the show floor and in mm. the bins and and people are now saying actually we're, we're not going to give those out anymore we're just going to have them as a either on a usb stick or we'll email it to you after the show because at least that's a reason for you to contact the people that you really want to keep in touch with with some more of your, your yeah. big brochures and your bigger material and they're not just going to end up in a bin they're going to arrive on someone's computer maybe when they're sat at their desk and they've got five minutes to actually give it a bit more attention so it's i think little things like that that exhibitors can be thinking of I, I think that's great. I mean, something smaller, a smaller flyer with a link to, uh, you know, the full catalog is, is probably best. And a lot of times these buyers are walking these massive shows and they have four or five, six bags. I mean, they can't even fit any more stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
The, you know, the one show that, that I love more than anything, um, but I also cringe at is the, uh, the Expo West natural product show in Anaheim. Uh, it's all about organic. It's all about, uh, upcycled and recycled, but every single stand is sampling their product in little plastic cups and little plastic spoons. I don't know what can be done there, but <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> If there's if there's one industry that is not quite doing it, um, it, it is probably food, right? Because yeah. they have to serve it. It has to be hy- hygienic, and um, fortunately, it's not every industry that has that issue. But um, that that's one in- industry that I would love to be a part of more and try and help with and be a part of the 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 move towards uh, you know upcycling, recycling, and all of that, and just being better to the environment. Yeah, and the solutions will be out there. We had the uh, the London Marathon um, in the capital mm. just this weekend gone. And obviously there's uh, tens of thousands of people running in that race and they're giving out water and LucasAid on the way around to help people drink and people just throw those water bottles down on the road. And this year for the first mm. time, they had little seaweed capsules. So you bit the top off the capsule, you drank your drink, and then you actually ate the seaweed capsule afterwards. So That's great. That's great. So there will be solutions. It's just going to take us a, a while to get there, I guess. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're just expensive right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's something that has to be done. And and there's a lot of great companies doing great things at that show that I mentioned. So um, it is one of my favorite and the one show that I just need some help for sure. But um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So we've talked a lot about um, stand design and pain points and how people can be more sustainable. The, the big thing that um, is just as important to your exhibition delivery is your team and how your team perform. And what should exhibitors be thinking about in terms of their team when they're actually designing their stands? Are there things you can do with your stand design that will make it easy for your team to perform really well once the show doors open? Yeah, I, I mean, the team is 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 crucial. I mean, when I when we say team, the team that is going to be at the show, and those are the people we're talking to when we're uh, designing the booth. So um, we take that into consideration all the time. Um, so you know, because of past clients' requests, you know, our systems improved immensely, and and we we try to um, come up with solutions specific, but still in in the range of what we do. Um, I think you'd really need to decide what it is and what your product and how it's pegged. And again, I could bring up mimicking retail. I mean, it is important. You have to determine how you want your product to be envisioned by the buyer at retail. So how do you do that? You planogram out all of your products and you figure out how that needs to be merchandised and you go and find the solution that enables you to do that. At the same time, still having some space for you to uh, create graphics that are impactful um, that that convey who you are um, in maybe one tagline. I mean, it is a billboard. When you have people walking the show and they're walking down the aisle, they've got four, three, four, five seconds to get your attention. Um, and I think that the most important thing is having some sort of impactful graphic out front and then curating the product on the right type of wall for your, for your, for your product. Um, yeah, I think anything you can do to just make sure you grab that attention and it's easy for your staff to start having or your team to start having a conversation with a visitor because people tend to be quite nervous. We have this assumption that doing a trade show is really easy and everybody loves it. And why wouldn't you enjoy a few days out of the office meeting your customers? But actually for some people, it's, it's a really anxious time and really nerve wracking into 
stop and somebody and have a conversation. Actually, if your graphics are doing some of the work and somebody's already interested, you've kind of broken the yeah. ice a little bit and it becomes much easier to say, oh, you've, you've noticed our logo or our product or our, you know, if you've merchandised it like retail, somebody's picking something up and looking at something. It's, it's much easier to start that conversation. I, I agree. I mean, you obviously have to send the right staff to the booth um, in order to uh, <laughs> make sure that they're outgoing and all of that. But I think that's kind of a given. But to make it a little bit easier, like you said, I mean, having the right graphics and, and having a compelling, brightly lit booth that's not um, too overly um, uh, merchandised. Yeah. Uh, we, I've worked, when I worked at the publishing company, we would bring 3,000 SKUs into the 10 by 30. It's just, wow. it's busy. You know, the buyer walks in and they go, oh, where do I start? Now they know that they're going to write a nice order and everything's going to be, because they've been ordering for us from a long time, but um, they know it's going to be a three hour uh, writing session. And sometimes they just don't have that time and they'll just pass the booth. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that a lot. So um, I think it's easier when you have less product and you can really focus in that. We just did a booth for Corksicle and they really use one shelf for just one collaboration that they did with uh, the Basquiat uh, estate on three bottles and they used the entire eight foot wall just for three three um three bottles and i think it was really impactful um because they had a you know freestanding display and had all their other products on the other side but they were able to focus in on the new release and i think you know i was, I was thinking about this before when you said like what's going to attract people into the booth i think having that new release or that new product or just some sort of big um, impactful image about you and what you do is really important to the stand as well, just as important as the merchandise. It's really interesting what you're saying there about the, the big idea in terms of so many exhibitors just book a trade show because it's in my industry or my competitors are going or we've always done it without thinking, what am I actually going to talk to customers or to visitors about? What's the big news, the big launch, the, the new product, the new service, mm -hmm. the improvement that people are going to be interested in? And you can sometimes see these kind of just very vague graphics are very vague. We're here because we feel like we should be, but we don't really know what the point of it is. And that planning right. stage right at the beginning where you absolutely nail your proposition and nail your objective is, is so important for every decision you make then about your stand design. I, I think it's good to actually just go to companies or, or, or let's just say, let's just pick Nike, go to their website and check out what they're doing. What, what's their landing page look like? That's probably something you should almost emulate at a trade show when you're launching a new product. Something very clean, very precise, um, unless you don't have anything new. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, great piece of advice there, though, for anybody listening who is thinking about where do I start with my stand design, check out some of the really big guys and see what their landing page looks like and take some inspiration from that about how you can cleanly and comprehensively communicate what your offer is. So and another great tip from Josh. We've had so many of them this episode. So, <laughs> so thank you. I, it's, it's so much fun talking about exhibits. I mean, I've got a lot of friends that don't do them. And um, when you get in a room full of, uh, of, of, of like-minded individuals <laughs> talking about trade shows where you live and breathe it every single day, uh, it's fun to finally talk about it. So I'm, I'm, it was, it's, it's been great talking to you about trade shows today. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It, it is. It's, we're real exhibition geeks. And, you know, once we start, we sometimes can't stop, which isn't always. <laughs> but it right, is right. a fantastic industry to, to be in. So um, I'm sure people have been inspired by everything that they've heard from you today. Um, we don't invite people onto our podcast just to um, promote themselves or for us to necessarily um, kind of promote them in any way. But I, I would encourage people to check out your website because it's a really interesting development for a lot of problems that are a, 
we know exhibitors um, struggle with. So it's, again, they could just take some inspiration from that. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, we're all on the same team here. Um, you know, without exhibitors, there are no buyers and then there's no exhibition industry. So um, making it more affordable for companies to exhibit at convention centers is really important. And I think we talked about this before, like, you know, what type of guests you would like to have on the show. And I think it'd be really interesting to talk to some of the, uh, the, the show managers or the show um, uh, companies like Emerald or Urban to see what they're doing to kind of help exhibitors save money um, and help grow their attendance as well as, um, you know, the exhibitor base. Really interesting point, and I think we will um, we'll touch basically on that one and get some some names of people to follow up. And I love your comment saying we're all on the same team because I think when we talk to exhibitors, sometimes it can feel a little bit transactional between event organisers and the actual yeah. exhibitors. And actually, if everybody has a good show, more visitors will come, more exhibitors will rebook early, the event organisers will have more that they can invest back into great content and creating more of a festival feel to it. So it, it works for everybody if we work together. And I just think that's such an important point. And it's, it's great to hear like-minded people also kind of giving that, trying to change that culture if we are actually all on the same team. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the face-to-face aspect of trade shows and um, we have to keep this going. So um, I think we all need to do it together. Absolutely. Well, it looks like it's a, an industry in pretty good health. I think the latest figures show there were 303 million visitors to trade shows globally last year. So um, no, no signs of the visitors staying away. No, no, Fantastic. no. I mean, I, and I go to a lot of shows. The exhibitor, like, like I mentioned, the Expo West is growing exponentially. Um, there are some shows that are, you know, consolidating and, and whatnot, depending on what the product is, and if it's more commoditized product or whatever it may be. But um, it's exciting. I mean, it's amazing how many shows and how many different channels and different markets there are going on every city all around the world every single day <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and um if you're anything like us if you happen to be in a city on holiday or a little trip you might just have a look at the convention center and see if there's anything mm-hmm. happening and if you can bag yourself an invite and go have a wander around it's uh, it gets that geeky when you're this excited about the industry yeah i was able to pop my hand at comic-con in san diego a couple of years ago that was um a bit of a stampede but um pretty cool to see um you know <laughs> how big a consumer-driven show can be. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention one thing. I mean, uh, trade shows are not the only aspect of, you know, presenting at the events. It's also open houses. We've done a lot of uh, booths for larger companies where they're actually bringing this uh, smaller version of this booth to, say, a Walmart meeting or a Petco meeting um, to uh, show their stand to store managers or what it may not, whatever it may be. Um, I just think there's a lot of other uh, opportunities in exhibiting, whether it be to direct consumer or business to business or actually uh, a retailer held event. So I, I just wanted to convey that like, for other people out there, trade shows aren't just the only place to show your product. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point in terms of you know, if that trade show or exhibition becomes part of your aligned communication plan, Therefore, why wouldn't you take some of the elements of your trade show, be it a, a smaller booth or just some of the collateral, to those kind of customer meetings to say, this is what we're all about. This is what we're doing. It looks the same. Are you joking? Sorry. I just um, <coughs> took the last sip of my coffee. <clears throat> I'm not dying, I promise. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want you to be the first death on our podcasts. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> Way to end the podcast, though, right? <laughs> well, we better let you go get some more to say. Josh, it's been fantastic yeah. speaking to you this week. Thank you yeah. so much for all no, your hey, hey. advice. No, thank you. Um, 
I, I, I look forward to ordering uh, your book because uh, that'd be a good read for sure. I'm excited. Ah, thank you. Just make sure you pick then, the right exhibitionist said, on uh, the Amazon. Ah, there are a few titles called ah, The Exhibitionist. We're definitely the one that are, that's about trade shows. It's funny. I went on last night just to just to look and see if it was available yet, and I did see those uh, those covers. So <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, if you can, <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> really, well, it's a great you, it's a great name. Yeah. So, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, our website is flatworksdisplays.com. That's plural, flatworks and displays.com. We also have an Instagram page where um, a lot of our our current images are on Instagram, so you can see what we're doing on the fly. Um, that's probably the best place to find us, flatworksdisplays.com. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thanks All so right. much for being a guest. And um, yeah, yeah, anybody who wants to get Thank in you. touch, you, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we can pass on Josh's details. So have, have a great day, Josh. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh. As I mentioned in the chat that we were having, we don't invite people onto the podcast or agree um, when people have approached us to come onto the podcast to just sell their products. And hopefully that didn't come across in that conversation. But so often we work with exhibitors who really struggle to find easy, cost-effective solutions that are also sustainable for smaller spaces. And we may have sounded uh, quite excited about what Josh is doing in that conversation, but I really do think there is a great solution in there. So if you want more details about Josh and Flatworks, then please do get in touch with us. So that's about it for us for today. So we have a really busy three weeks coming up now. We are running the live theatres at the Fit Show in Birmingham NEC next week from the 21st of May. So that's the Windows, Doors and Fenestration Industries Trade Show. So if you're visiting that show at all, come and see myself on the Insight Theatre or Steve on the Discovery Theatre. We would love to meet you. The following week, it's completely different again, and we are staffing the Lactalis McClellan stand at the Royal Bath and West show, which is a huge agricultural show uh, down in the southwest. We have a team of people out there engaging with visitors and hopefully selling some cheese. And the week after, we are back at the NEC at Auto Mechanica with the brilliant DPF recovery. Um, We now know far more about diesel filters than we ever thought we needed to, but we'll be helping support them down at the show the following week at Auto Mechanica. So if you're exhibiting or visiting any of those shows, we hope you have a fantastic time and please do tweet or get in touch. We would love to meet you. So coming up in two weeks on the show, we're really excited about this. Not something that we've done before, but we're going to be recording a panel podcast on Tuesday night with some of the exhibitors at the Fit Show. And we'll be getting all their thoughts on what they were nervous about when they first started planning for the show, what the challenges were that they've overcome, what have they found on day one of the show, what have they been surprised by, what are they going to be changing for day two. And word has it, there might even be a few beers involved. So I'm sure that's going to be a fantastic session. So that'll be coming up in two weeks. As I mentioned right at the top of the show, The Exhibitionist is on sale now, and we would love to know what you think of the book. So please get in touch. And If you head over to www.inspiringexhibitors.com, you can also find all our blogs and sign up for the newsletter so you know exactly where we're going and what's happening and also sharing our latest hints and tips from the industry. Have a great couple of weeks exhibitioning. You know where to get in touch with us and we would love to hear from you and we'll be back with you very shortly. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight.
While there, you can also find out more about our new book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.